Fighting the Urge to Get Even is the title of this message this morning. Has that ever happened to you? You ever want to get even? To retaliate, to make someone pay for wronging you or somebody you love? And I think if it goes far enough, it becomes like a consuming forest fire, and you even plot how you're going to do it. Have you ever lost your temper and gone off on a tirade? Have you ever thrown a fit? Kind of like this pup did in this clip. Let's watch. No. You've had enough. Your breakfast is gone. Move on. No, you'll get more tonight at supper. You are not starving. No, you're not. You're on a diet. You're on a diet because you're a little chubby, okay? Yeah, no. Do you want a, hey, do you want a snack? Like, um, maybe an ice cube? Have you ever binged on a diet? Have you ever lost control of your thoughts? Where lust or materialism or envy broke out of its harness and ran unbridled through your mind? Have you ever talked too much and later regretted it? I had a friend of mine up in Decatur, Illinois. He, he, he had a problem with talking too much. And he was sitting in the doctor's office, and he was sitting by a lady that had her hands up on her stomach. And he leaned over, and he said, when are you due? She said, due for what? She wasn't pregnant. It's the same thing happened to me up at Sam's in Terre Haute. I, I have a tendency to stick my foot in my mouth. I, that's a syndrome sometimes that we have. And I was at Sam's Club looking at new glasses, and the lady that was helping me, boy, she sure looked like she was going to have a baby. I said, when you do, she said, I'm not pregnant. I already have children. So, you know, what do you, what do you say? Let me see those frames up there. You know, you, it puts you in a, in a spot. You can get yourself in bad uh, pretty easy. And I think we've probably all done that. We've known the pain and regret that come when we let boundaries of our lives get trampled underfoot. I always say the saying that, you know, you fall off the wagon, you get skinned up. And I think that's in a lot of areas of our lives. Today we want to look at something else. All of us have trouble keeping on a short lease in a sense, and that's retaliation. In Esther 9, 1 through 16, we discover the solution for this problem that can help us. But before we look at that solution... Let's briefly examine the problem. It's in general. The temptation to go too far. Many of us have had too many helpings on the all-you-can-eat buffet. I, I like McKinley's Orchard. I'll go through and think, oh, I'm going to quit now. And then you think about those ham balls and you have to go back and get more. Or the fact that, well, I paid good money for this food. I'm going to get my money's worth, which is rationalization that's off the chart, actually. Or... Many of us has exceeded our credit limit on our charge cards at some time or another. We've all gone too far, and I think, uh, for honest, this morning we can all say amen to that, and it's time to fess up and admit that. And I'm sure there are those in your living room this morning uh, that could turn to you if you have trouble remembering some of those times and say, do you remember when? We're not going to go down that road, but anyhow. We not only go too far in the realms of food and finances, 
Sometimes we go too far in the moral realm as well. The saintly apostle Paul confessed this, his admonition, Romans seven nineteen. I don't accomplish the good I set out to do, and the evil I don't really want to do, I find I am always doing. The problem Paul highlights resides within you and I, all of us actually. It's the universal problem of losing control. What's the key to holding back? The answer to our dilemma is as easy as identifying the problem itself. However, in most of our lives, it's a lifetime project. It's just not one deal and it's over. What's the key? Self-control. One authority described it as follows, and I quote. Excuse me. Self-control is managing our attitudes, our feelings, and our actions. So they serve our long-term best interests and those of others. Self-control comes to people who learn discipline and social skills. It increases in those who accept God's grace in their lives and who seek to know and apply divine truth in a disciplined manner. End of quote. <coughs> Richard Walters said that in a counseling book. And no matter how discouraged you may be about the lack of quality in life, there's encouraging news. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23-23. It can be cultivated, it can be grasped, and it can be used in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit as we are in Christ. In Galatians 5, 23, the Greek term for self-control is a combination of two words. Strength and in, meaning inner strength. It describes those who have mastered over their inner desires, whether those desires are sensual or emotional. Self-control is a key that unlocks the leg irons of slavery. Slavery to those drives and desires that initially seem to be so freeing and fulfilling that we long for. Self-control to a person is like brakes on a car. Without, a, without brakes, a crash is inevitable. We crash through the guardrails that we've set up in our lives as well, the guardrails that God has put there. One of the most difficult times of life is in which to apply the brakes is when we have the urge to retaliate. Webster defines the word to repay as an injury in kind, to return like for like, to get revenge. We as parents and husbands and wives, grandparents, a lot of times when we want to retaliate, it's easier for us to cowboy up and absorb it. But boy, when, when this happens to somebody that we're close to and we love, I think, I think the horns even come out a little, little more. Retaliation is a warlike response between enemies. If you'll notice in history how Douglas MacArthur put the brakes on the response once the war between the United States and Japan was over. After World War II, MacArthur modeled great self-control in helping the Japanese rebuild their country and their dignity. He could have taken a heel and ground Japan into the ground because we know about the bombs. And after that was over, it would have been easy to demoralize them anymore. But he didn't take revenge over Pearl Harbor. He chose instead to rebuild. Joseph showed similar restraint when he had been mistreated and abandoned by his brothers. The cistern in the prison he was thrown into could have become a seething cauldron of bitterness and resentment. And when he ascended to Pharaoh's throne, he was given second in command of all of Egypt. He was the second most powerful man in, in the whole country. 
He could have developed or he could have deployed a thousand chariots to trample his brothers to dust, but he didn't. Instead, he showed grace, mercy, and love, and he blessed them. The same quality of self-control is illustrated beautifully in our passage today in Esther 9, 1 through 16. It's about the Jews who were freed in Persia. If, doing a little history, week, week before last we talked about this, <clears throat> that once the king had made a decree and put his signet ring on it and sealed it in wax, it could not be changed. It was irrevocable, so it had to be carried out. So if you remember, uh, that rascal Haman had set it up to kill all the Jews and the whole or whole media Persian Empire of 127 provinces and take all their stuff. So that had to be changed. So Mordecai and Esther get together, and they come up with another edict. Through the edict that Mordecai pinned and stamped with the king's signet ring, God gave the Jews the legal right to defend themselves. He allowed them to retaliate and plunder anyone who would attack them, chapter 8, verses 11 and 13. Yet in their defense... They demonstrated remarkable restraint regarding their enemies' family and possessions. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. Now the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day when the king's command and edict was, were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Azarias to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the people. Even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews, because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. And they did what they pleased to those who hated them. And in Susa, the capital, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And Parshadatha, Delphon, Aspatha, Paratha, Adaliah, Eridatha, Parmashta, Arisai, Eridai, and Vazathai, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Jew enemy, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. On that day, the number who were killed in Susa, the capital, was accorded to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and 10 sons of Haman in Susa, the capital. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted you, and what is your further request? It also shall be done. Then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today, and Laman Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded that it should be done so, and an edict was issued in Susa, and Haman's ten sons were hanged. And the Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the fourteenth day of the month, Adar, and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled, to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and kill 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. We who know history, this is an amazing thing to see the switch in how the Jews responded to their enemies in this Old Testament book. And then we fast forward 
through the silent years to Matthew into the Gospels, and we see that Jesus had come for the Jews. And what they do? Man, we don't want you. The, the words are ring in my ears of when the people stood before Pilate and said, let this man's blood be on us and our children. Then we fast forward to the 30s when Hitler was gaining control. Six million Jews were exterminated. They didn't, they didn't have the same power, evidently, that the Jews did in Persia, which is amazing me, to me. And I could get off on a rant here, but nonetheless, it, that just struck me as, wow, There were some Jewish resistance fighters, but it was minimal. Most of the Jews went to their death in peace. Um, you see you see Scripture playing in here and how prophecy works and how God has dealt with people. In this situation, the Jews were given the legal sanction to utterly destroy their enemies, even their wives and women and children, verse eight or chapter eight, verse eleven. They were even given the right to pillage and plunder their possessions. But notice their restraints. Nowhere in verses 1 through 16 of chapter 9 are women and children mentioned as part of the retaliation. Only the men. And three times we are told that they did not lay hands on their plunder, verses 10, 15, and 16. The temptation to go must have been great to go far, but the Jews resisted. Because in that first edict that Mort, or, uh, Haman had penned, they were going to kill all Jews. Men, women, children didn't matter. So the Jews pulled in the reins, and rather than let revenge run through the streets, wild and unrestrained. Human nature tends to be just the opposite, doesn't it? If the offender strikes, the offended strikes back. But if the cycle is ever to be broken, self-control must intervene and gain mastery over vengeance. So let's talk about us today, followers of Christ who are free. When you are tempted to take matters into your own hands, to strike back, to get even, there's a few things that you and I should remember. First of all is this. Remember that as a Christian, you are to be different from the world. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but, by trans but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed. Don't let the world fit you into its mold. The world's way is to get back. Christ's way is to get us back together. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Secondly, remember that as a Christian, you're a member of a family. <clears throat> Romans 12, 3 through 5. Well, through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have second sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And that's what Steve was saying. We'll always be crossroads, regardless of even if we move away into other part of the world. We'll always be the family of God. That's not going to change. As a member of a body, your role is not to take charge, but to take directions. Therein lies the problem. A lot of times we don't want to take directions. I think we've seen this during this pandemic. You're not going to make me wear a mask. Actually, you're not going to make me do anything. That, and it, there's a sense of rebellion in us that, that when God breathes into Adam's nostrils in the garden, 
Satan breathed into man a sense of rebellion. We don't like being told what to do. It's not going to be so good for us in the kingdom if we can't follow God's directions, and that's the way that it is. That's why there are a lot of miserable Christians today. They don't follow directions. They follow their own directions and try to work God in there somewhere. It is the head's role to give orders, and that head is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 explains that. Third, remember that as a Christian, the Lord is your defender. Never pay, this is Romans 12, 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As sure as I'm sitting on this still today, that is going to happen for every human being. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Restrain yourself when it comes to revenge. The high road of life is not the road of retaliation and getting even. It's the road of forgiveness, the road that Jesus traveled when he went to the cross. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, 21 through 23. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I'd like for us to do a little self-examination today. Do you ever struggle with self-control? Do certain people or situations push your buttons? What might those areas be? Maybe it's your tongue. You always have to have the last word. You always have to get a word in when you probably should be quiet. Or your thoughts, that they run wild and in a lot of different areas where you should have them under control. Could be your time. You don't manage time wisely. Uh, other people's time doesn't matter. Only your time does. Or your temper. Short fuse. It doesn't take much to set you off. And many of us have <laughs> uh, some bad stories about that where we wish we hadn't have lost our temper. Here's some passages that might help you if you struggle in any of these areas. I'm going to go through these quick, and I, I will put them uh, on our website when we do that hope for the day. When we do those videos, I'll put those on uh, for you uh, uh, tomorrow. Tongue problems. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 18. Ephesians 4, 25, and verse 29. Your thoughts. Matthew 5, 19. Proverbs 4, 23, and Philippians 4, 8. Your time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, 1 Peter 1, 17, and Psalms 90, verse 12. And then lastly, our temper, James 1, 19 and 20, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, and verses 31 and 32. There might be somebody in your life that hurt you. You can't, give, can't let it go, and you find yourself reliving the scene of that hurt in your mind over and over and over again. And then you go on in your mind because then you think about retaliating either verbally or physically. I, I think, uh, I did a series on Facebook, and I, I think people use that to get back at people. 
whether whatever they say to them. But I, I think there's a lot of people. There's a lot of anger. They get they got going back and forth and slinging words and on and on and on. Here's my advice today: instead of filling your hands with stones, won't you fold them in prayer? <laughs> It'll do wonders for you to pray for people that have wronged you. Um, the Holy Spirit will take over and bring peace into your life. Now, I see you say, I love you guys and I miss you. We'll be back together one of these days. This is going by pretty quick, actually. But uh, just know that you are loved and you're prayed for. Lord, self-control is an issue. It's for all of us. We might not admit it, but it's, it's there. And if we admit it, it's there every day. It's that urge to get off the path. It's that urge to do what we want instead of what God wants. It's that urge to stick our fingers in our spiritual ears and not listen to you, Holy Spirit. It gets us in bad sometimes, and then we come crawling, whining, crying back to you. And sometimes we want to blame you, and we know that's wrong. So I pray for these folks this morning, Lord, whoever hears this message, that when the self-control issue comes up, they go to Galatians 5, and they read that again the product of fruit of the Spirit, that we are in tune with you where we need to be. And as we pray, you will produce that fruit in our life and we'll be able to get grasp over the things that cause us so much grief. We love you, God, and I love these people. Just ask a special blessing on them today where we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. See ya.